0: Hey, so Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose her fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, And for many days He appeared to those who had come up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now His witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one seek corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. A little bit going on in that passage, ain't there? The words I want you to think of today are promise and fulfillment. Promise and fulfillment. Is there anything more disappointing to you when a promise is not fulfilled, perhaps it was something that you had waited for, for what seemed like forever, and it never came to fruition. How would you respond to such a thing? You'd feel disappointed. Maybe you'd be, feel betrayed by the person who made you that promise, and they didn't fulfill it. Those feelings would be magnified the longer you waited for the promise. Contrast that with how you feel when a promise is fulfilled. When a promise that you've been waiting on for such a long time comes to fruition. And sometimes the longer the wait, the greater the intensity of joy, the sweetness of the enjoyment of it. No more waiting. Sometimes, though, when a promise is fulfilled, it's fulfilled in a way that you weren't necessarily expecting. You didn't understand the fullness of the promise when it was made to you. So at first, as the promise is fulfilled, you kind of kick against it because it isn't what you're expecting. But then as you start to experience that promise, you're like, yeah, I wasn't expecting it like this, but wow, is this good. This is better than I ever could have imagined. That's the dynamic that we're dealing with today in Acts chapter 13. That dynamic, the fulfillment of a promise, one that the Israelites had trouble understanding how it would be fulfilled and how it was fulfilled, is one of our controlling dynamics. As we read about the gospel... The good news of Messiah's kingdom spreading, Luke records in great detail here. We read it in great detail. Paul's synagogue sermon in Antioch of Pisidia. And as Paul addresses his people, the Jews, his focus is on the fact that Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah, is the fulfillment, Fulfillment is the fulfillment is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to his covenant people. Boy, you just say that and think of how Jesus Christ is high and lifted up. He's the one. Three simple ways to break this down. Number one, point number one is the gospel heads north. I was going to put a map up there. I should have, but I couldn't find one. Then I was thinking, I should get a chalkboard and like draw, but then I thought that would be a train wreck, so I left that. So you're just going to be left with my words and describing how the gospel goes north? Point number two will be nothing new, nothing new, nothing new to see here, just promises fulfilled. Point number three is what I'm just calling a crucial turn, a crucial turn. So as to point number one, the gospel heads north, Verses 14 and 15 tell us some important things about the spread of the gospel. Earlier on in chapter 13, we learned that the Holy Spirit through the church in Antioch set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work of kingdom mission. As we spoke of last week, that same Holy Spirit sends Paul and Barnabas off going to the island of Cyprus, arriving on the eastern edge. So they go from Antioch to this large island that is west, a little bit southwest. If you look at the back of your Bible, I'm sure you got a map that shows you where Cyprus is. And they land on the eastern edge, preach the gospel in Salamis, in the synagogue of the Jews. They then, having taken John Mark with them, worked their way across the island to the western port city of Paphos, where last week we met the Jewish sorcerer, Bar Jesus, and a Roman proconsul. Examples of the gospel being both rejected and embraced by faith. This brings us to today's passage. Verse 13 tells us they they left from Perga, and they head north, they sail north, they sail north, and they land in a port city of the coastal region, of the coastal region, so actually they leave from, they leave from Paphos rather, and they come to Perga in a coastal region of Pamphylia. At that point, they lose one, John Mark departs, oh that John Mark, he's a rascal apparently, and that's all I'm going to say about him is put on there, John Mark is a rascal. And save that, not going to say much more, although later on we note that Paul says that John Mark had withdrawn or abandoned them. Luke records that they travel immediately north into the region of Galatia. We know the reading of Galatia because Paul writes letters to the churches in the region of Galatia later on in his ministry. And they come to this prominent city of southern Galatia, and prominent being civilly and militarily the town of Antioch. Not the Antioch that they left from. Antioch's all over the place. I mean, Antioch's just like Springfield. There's Antioch's all over the place. This is Antioch of Pisidia. You just want to make note of where that is. Again, boy, if you, this is why they put those maps. It's much better than my chalkboard. But take a look in the back of your Bibles. you probably got a map. As was the custom, Paul and Barnabas headed to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And after the law and the prophets are read, the rulers, the rulers, what do the rulers do? I'm going to quote a prominent 21st century philosopher and theologian and Grace Church elder Todd Walker. They tee it up for them. The rulers just put it right on the tee for them. They say, "Do you got anything to say to us? I bet they didn't even finish the sentence before Paul rockets out of the chair. i got something to say to you. That gives me goosebumps. Paul clobbers the ball. He doesn't miss. He doesn't hit the tee. He clobbers it. In the longest recorded synagogue sermon of Paul's, and we're going to assume there were others, many, which has some similarities with Peter's great sermon at Pentecost, has some similarity with Stephen's words that led to his stoning, even has many similarities with some of Jesus' discourse or discourses. The dynamic of Paul's synagogue sermon is also our second point of the message outline. Brothers and sisters, this isn't anything new. This is just promises being fulfilled. Why is it important Why is it important to recognize that? Jewish audiences would be zealous to make sure that what they were hearing wasn't something novel. Something that violated the law and the prophets. Something that spoke against Moses and the temple. Remember, that's the charge they bring against Christ. This guy's speaking against Moses in the temple. We gotta do away with him. They were zealous for making sure nothing contradicted, nothing was novel. Well, Paul's got a message for them. The first thing Paul focuses on is a building of common ground with his audience. He was one of them. He was one of them. The rulers in their invite had referred to him and Barnabas as brothers. Even the Gentiles that were present were God-fearers, those who had submitted themselves to the precepts of the law, but hadn't fully converted to Judaism. But they sought to worship Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. And Paul builds on this common ground with the story of God's working in the lives of his covenant people. And, and, and the verbs he uses, the verbs he uses are plentiful. Let's look at him. Look at your Bibles. He, in verse 17, chose our fathers. He made the people great, and he led them out of Egypt. All glory goes to God. In verse 18, he put up with them in the wilderness. Thank you, God, for putting up with me. Verse 19, he destroyed the seven nations in Canaan and gave them their land as an inheritance he goes before and fights israel's battles for them this is our god verse 21 he gave them saul in response to their desire for a king in verse 22 he raised up david paul starts by acknowledging all that god has done for his people the people he chose to be his people this is our god God acts mightily and intentionally in the lives of His people always. I'm going to say that again. God acts mightily and intentionally in the lives of His people always. What God also did for His people was to make the supreme promise. The supreme promise. The promise of a Savior a Savior who would come from David's offspring. When the Israelites hear the word David, the name David, they immediately think, King! David, King! It was, they were that synonymous in the minds of the Israelites. David was the greatest king. This Messiah King came, Paul is stressing, and he came in the person of Christ. This is nothing new. This is nothing novel, fellow Israelites. This is actually a fulfillment of God's promises. Now, now, there's a hurdle for the Jews. There's a hurdle for the Jews. So they're willing to say, they're willing to say, yeah, we're we're with you on the David thing, 100%. This is good. Yeah, I'm tracking with you, bro. All right, uh, uh, this Messiah is going to come from the line. He's going to be the greater king. Woohoo. hoo I'm with you. What was the stumbling block? The stumbling block was that the Messiah king would suffer. The stumbling block was that the Messiah king would die. And what Paul wants to point out is the things... That happened to Christ came right from the law and the prophets that you read every Sabbath. This isn't something new. This isn't something novel. This is just God fulfilling His promises. The Christ, the Christ, the substitutionary, sacrificial servant Messiah King came to the house of Israel in the person of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all God's promises. And the message, the message of this Christ, of His person, of His work, of His fulfillment of all of the promises, of fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets, that message, brothers and sisters of Israel, has now come here to you. Told you, Paul, boy, he came flying out of the chair when they invited him up. He couldn't wait to get there and connect what they were doing to Jesus Christ. You know what else fulfilled prophecy? So there's there's shiny, happy fulfillment prophecy, right? The promises are fulfilled. We, We enter into salvation. We've got all these promises, glory to God. You know what else fulfills prophecy, though? Paul tells them, those who lived in Jerusalem and the rulers in Jerusalem, they fulfilled prophecy, too. See, prophetic fulfillment just doesn't come in the fulfillment of promises. It also comes in the fulfillment of curses. It also comes in the fulfillment of judgments for the rejection of God's grace and His mercy. Christ fulfilled prophecy and the Jews and their leaders rejected Christ to their shame and condemnation and that rejection further fulfilled prophecy. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 almost takes the form of pleading. I almost hear, if you're familiar with Paul's Paul's writings, I almost hear like a, 2 Corinthians 5, I implore you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. But you almost hear this in verse 26 when he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. The promise of... Of salvation has been fulfilled we've been waiting for it some of us some of us took an off-ramp and we were looking for the earthly thing I, w- I want to be important again I don't want I don't want anybody to rule over me on this earth some of us took an off-ramp but that was never the fullness of the promise the fullness of the promise had to do with salvation rescue from sin, and rescue from condemnation. And this salvation is found in a person. Everything pointed to Him. All the prophetic promises. He is the fulfillment of the promises. This message has come to you, brothers and sisters of Israel. Do not, do not, do not be like those in Jerusalem who rejected Christ and suffered condemnation don't be a part of that kind of prophetic fulfillment those very jews in jerusalem turned the christ over to pilate to be killed stopping god's plan right wrong because you can't fight against god and win god knows all this is part of his plan He understands how human beings will respond. He totally understands that. Rather, it fulfilled prophecy. Their actions in Jerusalem during that week, culminating at the cross, furthered God's plan. It didn't stop it. It furthered God's plan. But what the Jews in Antioch needed to hear... Came in the form of one of those glorious but gods in Scripture. Verse 30. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the Jews back home, the rulers back home, they killed him. They put him to death. They brought him, they brought him to a Gentile and had him put to death. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. Yes. This Messiah king died, and I know you're having a hard time with that. I know you're having a hard time with that. How can a king, how can the greatest king, a king greater than David, how could he come to die? I I can't put that together in my mind. But the Messiah king was also raised from the dead. He was seen by many. And that Christ Who was raised was a further fulfillment of God's promises. This is the Christ. Do you dare reject a man that was raised from the dead? A lot of times in my witnessing or talking to people, I got to say, look at Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. There's like a historical account of like him being seen, raised from the dead. What do you do with that? You you can't just say, ah, it's just kind of a freakish thing. No, you got to do something with that. Somebody arose. Somebody came out on the other side of death. you got to do something with that. Do you dare reject the man that was raised from the dead as though there's another way? Our very scriptures... Paul is saying, pointed to this. Psalm two, quoted in verse thirty-three. Isaiah fifty-five, quoted in verse thirty-four, Psalm sixteen, quoted in verse thirty-five. You're gonna to have to go back and just because of time, look at these even during your afternoon study and, and look at them in their original context. The only thing I would ask is that when you look at that word begotten, I could have I could have taught an entire message on About begotten, begottenness, and not even gotten to the tip of the iceberg, or begotten to the tip of the iceberg. We just know, we would we would confess, if 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 you're aware of anything about church history, there's a very early creed of the church called the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed was written against a a theologian, I use that term loosely, and a group that followed him that said that Jesus Christ was created. He was created Jesus Christ wasn't created. do we believe that okay good that's encouraging we're on the right so one of the things they put in one of the things they because because the the theologians that were saying Jesus was created were saying well he was begotten that means he was he was created he was he was created by the Father so one of the things that the uh, Council of Nicaea was very zealous to put in that creed was he was begotten but not Made. So whatever begottenness means, it has to do with a uniqueness. Here it ties to resurrection. In Hebrews chapter 1, it ties to uh, his coming and his birth, his virgin birth. Whatever it means, and we don't have time to get to the fullness of all it means today, just never, ever, ever attach begottenness to being created. That's my commercial. So whether it's Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, or Psalm 16, these all spoke of Jesus Christ, our Messiah King. So the law and the prophets that we read all the time talk about someone who's not gonna see corruption. What does that mean? He's not gonna stay dead. Who didn't stay dead? Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of the promises. Trying, trying to give up smoking. I apologize. And I'm like, is there, what is going... Why is there a lighter up here? And where did it come from? This is really concerning. This pulpit's on fire. That, yeah. It is Christ, by being raised from the dead, that fulfills God's long-standing promises to the people of Israel. Paul is laboring. He is laboring. He is laboring to show this is not something new. This is not something novel. This is not something that speaks against the law and the prophets. Rather, this is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is a fulfillment of the ancient promises. There is no other way. There is not a yet-to-come Messiah. He is it. And He did just what the law and the prophets said He would do. Die for His people and be raised again to new life. And then comes the centerpiece right here, brothers and sisters, verses 38 and 39. 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed, is freed, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. O you who are zealous for the law, Fellow Israelites and those who fear God, it is not the keeping of the law of Moses that frees you from the guilt and condemnation. It is not a keeping of the precepts of the law that will make you stand before God justified, declared righteous before your Creator. Rather, it is faith in the Christ, the resurrected Christ, who fulfilled the law, by His perfect life. Who made atonement for sin by His death on a cross. Who was raised from the dead showing we are indeed justified. That's Romans 3 talk. Look at the end of Romans chapter 3. He was raised for our justification thereby defeating the greatest enemy, death. See, this is where this is where we could, we could broaden out as Gentiles, if, if indeed you're, you don't have a Jewish genealogy. Starting with the Jews, this was never about the Canaanites. This was never about the Hittites. This was never about the Perizzites, the Ammonites. This was never about the Greeks. This was never about the Romans. Actually, this goes far beyond Israel as a nation. This goes back to the garden. It is a problem affecting all of humanity, Jew and Gentile alike. What is the problem? Sin, rebellion estrangement from God, the God with whom we were created to be in relationship. And God, because He's gracious, because He's merciful, your name is great and your heart is kind, we were singing earlier, and I'm not going to sing that. He made a promise. He made a promise. He made a promise to send one to conquer the enemy of sin and death. Where there was failure in the garden, there was victory in the empty tomb. That's what He did. This is the fulfillment of the promise, fellow Israelites. This Christ is it. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited King who came to vanquish the enemy. Let's just make sure we define the enemy rightly. Because if you do... Then you'll love him. Trust him. Because he's the only one that can defeat that enemy for us. This is our Christ. Later, Paul would write these words to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 1 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our, our, our amen to God for his glory. This is why the Father is so glorified when we exalt the Son. This is Because all of the promises of God are found to be amen in Christ. Now Paul closes with a word of warning. Verse 40. Verse 40 starts with the word beware. 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 Means there's a way this thing can go horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. You were at a crossroads. You could reject the promised one. Decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with the keeping of the law and just wait. I'm gonna wait for the real thing, whatever that real thing is. And by doing that, I'm gonna fulfill prophecy further by being a scoffer. So Paul in verse 41 brings in Habakkuk 1 by being a scoffer who is astounded and who perishes. That's that's one road at the crossroads. It's one road at the crossroads. I'm gonna go my way. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm going with the law. I'm going to ignore the things in the law that clearly point to this guy, but I'm going to go with the law. And if I do that, it's going to be just as God said some of us will do. And I will die in my sins. Or, the other road, I can trust in the Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. The Messiah, King of Israel. I could trust That the fulfillment of God's promises has come through this Jesus. And through this Jesus, whom our own people killed, through this Jesus, forgiveness of sin and restoration with God is possible. This is what Paul, empowered by the Spirit, knew that his fellow Jews needed to hear. Further, further, further. This is what the Spirit inspired Luke to record in such detail that two thousand years we would still be proclaiming this message of it must be Christ. It can only be Christ. That promise has been fulfilled in Christ, and you must embrace him by faith, O Israelites in Antioch, and O people of Warrenville, or you'll perish. Or you'll perish. There is no other way. This causes quite a stir. This causes quite a stir. And the people are begging for more. Verse 42, come back next Sabbath. We want to hear more of this. Verse 43 seems to point to some actually experiencing saving grace evidenced by Paul and Barnabas urging them to continue on in the grace of God. God's Promises are proclaimed in Christ. His Christ is exalted. And God's saving grace is at work. That's why, church, we never, ever, ever think there's another remedy for our world other than preaching the gospel. There ain't no other remedy. It's been tried and found to fail. We preach Christ crucified. A great crowd gathers the following Sabbath, but what also is present as the whole city gathers? Resistance. This is the pattern we're going to see. We've seen through Acts, and we're going to keep seeing resistance. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. They indeed are fulfilling God's prophecy in the rejection of the promise. This takes us to our third and last, and I'm not going to promise shorter, but I'm going to say shorter, shorter points. A crucial turn. Not only was the rejection of the good news a fulfillment of prophecy, so was Paul and Barnabas's response to that rejection. Verses 46 and 47. 46 and 47. It was necessary... That the word of God be spoken to you first, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, quoted, quoting Isaiah 49.6, I have made you a light. So Christ, the Messiah, not just a light for Israel, but a light to the Gentiles. And it would be the, the, the missionaries, the missionaries, the, the, the Claire Patties, and then the missionaries who will then who will then take that light to the nations, just as God had made for it to happen. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The Jews' rejections would Push the gospel out to the Gentiles, all according to God's plan. The Gentiles aren't plan B. It's not like God is sitting on the edge of his bed saying, oh man, I had planned for this whole thing to be this Jewish party and it was going to be great and they've rejected it. What do I do now? What, did I just give up? I'll go to the Gentiles. I'll go to the Gentiles. That's what I'll do. It's not what he's doing. It was God's plan all along. Christ, Because because what Christ came to conquer, sin, death, estrangement from God, what Christ came to conquer isn't a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. Jew and Gentile alike, all are under sin. All are under sin. This doesn't mean that the Jews would not hear the gospel at all. One commentator says, what we find now is not so much a shift in strategy as now it's a focus on Paul as the chief instrument by which the gospel reaches out to the Gentiles and the ends of the earth. The reaching out to the Gentiles had already begun, evidence in Peter's interaction with Cornelius earlier, but as the book becomes more Paul-focused, his mission to the Gentiles primarily takes center stage. Verse 48 tells us that the Gentiles rejoice at hearing this. God's message was for them as well. So much so that this team would focus on their people. There is rejoicing. There is the glorifying of God's message. There is a taking hold of the good news by faith. Luke affirms God's sovereign election in the clearest of terms here. This is is a doctrine that we kick against. We kick against oftentimes because we we, we import more into it than what the text says. But here, there's a clear and vivid ordering. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's hard to get that ordering out of whack. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. A clear, vivid ordering. God's message, God's plan for the spreading of that message God's appointed messengers to take that message to those places, and God's appointed people who believe that message. But lest we be remiss and not preach the whole counsel of God, preach only half of what's there, the passage also makes it clear that man is responsible for his rejection of the gospel message. The Jews are charged by God through Paul of thrusting aside the message of Christ and judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. God's election to salvation is affirmed, and man's condemnation because of his rejection of Christ is just. The beautiful balance is achieved by the Spirit-empowered Luke. And then as we land the plane, as we land the plane, which means we're under an hour, once again the affirmation, verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Claire gave us a little taste of that through the slides. The word of the Lord is spreading. You can't, you can't stop it. The Jews try to, at least at least in Antioch. They stir up some of the power brokers in the city. They rouse the rabble. They drive out Paul and Barnabas. What's Paul and Barnabas' response? What is it? Edge of their bed? Nibbling their nails down to nubs? No, not at all. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Those who embraced the promise fulfilled in Christ rejoiced. Others persecuted. On to the next mission. On to the next mission. The gospel would now head east. We'll pick that up next week. One of the things I tell my wife This is kind of behind the pastoral door. Never, ever, ever say the words, it's cold in here. Because I'm sweating. What do we take away from this message? Just two things. Two things. Number one, point number one is simply this. If you remember, Paul brings the Jews to the crossroads. He brings them to the crossroads. And we would say that every human being stands at the crossroads. We come thinking we can follow the law to be made right with God. So we think that's what human beings think. Well, pastor, I'm not a Jew. I don't have the law of Moses. I don't have the 10 commandments hanging in my, in my family room. I, I, what do you mean I try to follow the law? You be, but follow me. For the Jews, it was the law of Moses. But all human beings have a law that they construct inside of them. We all have a law that we make up. And that law that we make up is a law that we could easily keep. And because we easily keep this law that we make up, we set the bar low for ourselves, not the perfection that God demands. We set the bar so low for ourselves that we deem ourselves good, and we deem ourselves worthy of eternal life. We all do it. Every one of us. Do you know who the really bad people are? Them. Not me. I'm crazy. That's the natural road man takes. We don't want a God to rule over us, but we want all the benefits of God's blessings. Perhaps, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying this right now, right now, Perhaps God is, is, is revealing to you that that is the road you are currently on. You're, you're going to do it on your own. I, I got what it takes within me to, to make this right with God. I do. please. The other road is Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of God's promises. There is a way to be truly reconciled to God. There is a way to be fully and finally forgiven. And that is by not what you do, but faith in what Christ has done for you. Faith in Messiah, King of Israel, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of God's promise. The promise to make a way back to Him. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way take hold of that promise by faith. Point number 2 More broadly this passage shows something that is just glorious if we if we could just if we could get this and that is that God's always faithful in fulfilling his promises always. I love baseball. And a great hitter in baseball is somebody who gets a base hit three out of every ten times. They're batting 300 is what they say. God is batting 1,000. He's never failed. Never. Not once. He is a promise-keeping God. He has never broken a promise. He has never not been true to his word. Rest in that, brothers and sisters. There are so many promises God makes to his people in Scripture. Rest in that. Rest in the fact that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Rest in the fact that he is always near. Rest in the fact that he is for you. He's for you always. Rest in the fact that he is working. Every single circumstance ultimately for your good. Rest in the fact that the best is yet to come. I'm not going to do my Sinatra imitation, although I would get offers to perform if I did, quite frankly. But the best is yet to come. It's yet to come. As good as this life is, walking alongside of God through it, the eternal presence of god with no sin nature i'm fully drinking awaits us someday that's the promise god makes it is astounding why can we rest because these things are promised by god secured by christ so, like, I, I usually use an illustration. I'm afraid to touch anything up here at this point. I got lighters flying. I broke the lamp last time. So, literally, God's, God's love, I call it, like, his love lever, right? So you think of a thrust, love lever. The AV people are going to, I'm going to get emails. This is going to be ugly. But the, the, the love lever is on full always. Always. Why? Because Christ has put it there. You didn't earn that. You didn't need to earn that. Did you blow it yesterday? Did you just make a mess of your life? Just totally disobey God and do it your way and it's been a catastrophe? That love lover is still on full speed of head because it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ. Christ has fulfilled that. Christ has purchased that extravagant, full force love. That's what we rest in, brothers and sisters. Every blessing promised by God is fully assured because Christ has assured it for us. Walk by faith in that, brothers and sisters, and enter into the fullness of the promises He has made to us, His people in Christ. Join me in prayer. Boy, Lord, I... uh... (laughs) Father, your your word, your revelation is just so rich and so deep. And Lord, I just I feel like I we didn't even I don't even think we scratched the surface. I think we we approached the surface. But Lord, I know. I pray that your Son was exalted. And Lord, we know that when 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 Christ is, is lifted up, when when Christ crucified is preached, when when the resurrection, the glorious resurrection of the Son is is proclaimed, Lord, you move mightily. And I pray you're moving mightily even now, Father, drawing those who don't know Christ to yourself, assuring believers, assuring fellow brothers and sisters in Christ of all of the promises, fully assured because your love for us and those promises are fully assured because of Christ. And Lord, I just pray that we would just live lives that are zealous to believe you, zealous to walk by faith and not by sight. Believe in what you say, not what the world is saying, not even what we're trying to tell ourselves. So, Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the Son. Thank you for atonement. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for promises, eternal life. Thank you for all things. We pray these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would the brothers who are going to join me in... Assisting with the Lord's Supper, please step forward. So now it comes time for those of us who have entered that promise, that promise of forgiveness, that promise of reconciliation, that long standing promise that was answered through Jesus Christ. Now is the time we get to come together, we get to celebrate. That promise together, very visually, very visually, bread. That is bread, isn't it? What is it? It's a wafer, wafer, breadish bread, and cup. We get to celebrate very tangibly the fulfillment of the promise of Christ. And here's what I would ask: as the elements are being passed, if if you're not in Christ, if if, if you're not someone who you're, you're wrestling with these things, you're unsure, boy. Yeah. Have I truly trusted Him? Have I entered into that promise? Let the elements pass and just pray and ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you further. If you are in Christ and you take these elements, when you get it, don't waste that time where it's sitting in your hand before we celebrate it. Focus. Focus on God's expression of love for you in Christ. Focus on the fact that you are now fully forgiven and in relationship with the God who loves you and will keep every promise he has made to you. Let me pray and then we'll distribute the elements. Father, help us by bread and by cup just to take hold and appreciate Appreciate the depth of what you have done for us in Christ and what that means for us today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.